Hello and welcome to The Intersection of Things, an unapologetically feminist take on the internet. Hey Marinella. Hey Riz, how are you doing? I'm alright, I'm alright. I'm excited about going to the Internet Freedom Festival next week. How are you? Oh, awesome. I'm alright. Tell me about the Internet Freedom Festival. Where is it going to be? Um, it's an internet e-conference in Valencia, so I'm getting to go to Spain, where it's warm after it's been snowing in London for a whole week, so I'm gonna go from like 0 to 20 degrees uh, in 24 hours. That's amazing. And there look like so many amazing sessions, I just can't wait. It's like actually a really international internet conference, so I'm gonna hear about the fight across the world and there's just like so many sessions that are about fighting harassment and making the internet safer and it's all like women-led and diverse and it's just basically everything that I want from an internet conference. So fingers crossed that it goes amazing. Fingers crossed. Is there any particular session that you're really looking forward to or a track? I don't know how it works. Yeah, there's like a whole, there is a track that's about like improving the internet freedom movement, which is kind of the thing that I care about. There's a session called Queering Digital Security and Internet Freedom. I mean, that Ooh. sounds great. Yeah, I'm, I'm now looking at my agenda of things. There's a session on the rise of feminist tech in Latin America slash baked in consent. That's the title. What? That's the title of that session. So I'm like, oh. oh no, wait, sorry. No, it isn't. No, ignore what I just said. I just realized that they were two clashing sessions that I couldn't decide whether to go mm. to. One about consent or one about feminist tech in Latin America. And Amazing. I'm going to have to make that call. There's one on gendering surveillance. There's one on bias in technology and how to fix it. There's one on how to talk about the importance of privacy. There's one called threatened by the state, disowned by the community. Wow. Okay, I... I'm really looking forward to reading all the tweets. I hope the hashtags are well fed. Um, yeah, maybe. Will you be Will you be live tweeting? Will you be doing stuff? Yeah, on your I am gonna tweet the shit out of it. Where can we find that? Uh, at Nessient, N-E-S-I-E-N-T. If anybody's really interested, check that. Uh, Ruth, I'm sure, will hashtag the thing properly so you can just easily find everything that you need. I'm. I'm so happy that these events are happening and that these conversations are happening and can't wait to see what comes out of that. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it afterwards. <laughs> Yay! Um, okay, so what's today's intersection? What are we talking about? Today, we're going to talk about internet rights and going to work. Basically, online freedom and job security, like unions and the gig economy and who can participate in today's work environment, a whole bunch of stuff to do with that. Yeah, the gig economy, apps, work, how that's impacting our digital rights, human rights, labor rights, and also who has a chance to be part of this boom of the of the app-based labor yeah, let's let's explain what the gig economy is because if we're gonna yeah. we're gonna use that phrase, so it's basically app-based businesses. There's things like TaskRabbit and Fiverr where people bid for work opportunities that come to them on their phone. The people who ask for work are classed as contractors, whilst the app makers get the profit like an employer. The companies then pretend that they don't employ people or they legally don't employ people and they just take a commission on the earnings. Basically Deliveroo and Uber do similar things where you're like waiting for jobs via this app and even Airbnb 
might look different, mm-hmm. but it's that same kind of model. So you work, but you technically don't work for the app makers. And it's no secret that a lot of people basically make their living out of this, right? Or they try. Like it's this is not like a side gig as a lot of the time these apps are being sold as, but this is like their main source of income, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of those things where they're trying to originally talk about, like you said, as though it's like flexible work that you can do on the side. And that's how they've been trying to sell it the whole time. But people actually aren't making enough money and they're trying to do it as a full-time thing. I actually read some a report on some statistics from uh, the United States about how this is working out for people. And it's said that most people are getting in the ride-sharing business, so that's Uber and Lyft, they're getting $3.37 an hour before taxes, and that 74% of drivers are earning less than the minimum wage in their state. That's like exactly kind of the core of what I find really problematic about this whole situation is that if people were being employed, you couldn't avoid paying people a fair wage. You couldn't, or at least maybe not a fair wage, a minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And and it's not just like a wage, it's everything else that you miss out on. There's like parental leave and sick pay, pensions, all of the things that come with working for someone. But here, right. they're providing the profit to these apps, but then they're not actually getting any of the benefits and they're not yeah. even getting like a reasonable wage for themselves. Like if it was like, a lot of the time when you hear people talking about contractors, it often means because they're running their own business, they can like charge contracting fees and, you know, earn a decent wage. And it's actually like quite lucrative. But this is like the contractor lifestyle in name, but not in reality. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the key aspects that makes this different from contract or quote-unquote work is that it is a pattern that these apps and these app-based businesses are offloading the risk into the individuals themselves so like when you were talking about statistics also there's that fact that uh what is it 30 percent of drivers are actually losing money once vehicle expenses are included so basically the person who's doing the work it's also carrying all of the risk like uber for example would not carry the risk of a vehicle breaking down or like bad weather and rides not being available so usually um, it's understood that when you work in a company an organized place the collective is what helps mitigate the risk but like when you start atomizing workers like basically treating them as individuals the burden of risk is their own and I have to double check this but um, back in the day I think it was Uber who had a clause in their in their contract at least in the states that it stated that workers could not communicate with one another so you could not make public how much money you made you could not like it was part of the contract that you could not communicate and um, wow. when I was chatting with a friend who's who's in a union she was mentioning indeed that it is in this communication when you work with other people with a lot of um, the strategic planning on how to improve your working conditions that's where it comes about right when you're being like hey I just got one dollar how come you got ten right and uh, if by law you are breaking contract if you're sharing this information because again you're a contractor you're not an 
employee, you can very soon start seeing how this offloading of risk into the individual is made by design. Like this is not just a side product, right? Wow. Um, yeah. And side note too, we have to see, um, and this might not make it into the pod, we'll see, uh, whether this contract also used copyright as part of the, um, or intellectual property rather than copyright, as part of the excuse to not share information, because you would be sharing valuable, like, internal something-something about the app and about the business model that was only shared to you as a one-on-one -on -one contractor. So I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure it, it had its basis on that, on like your sharing company information. But anyways, back to back to this. Huh. Yeah, listeners don't get to see my kind of utterly confused and also disgusted at the same time face that I held during that entire <laughs> piece of information. It was just going, what? Uh, yeah, this whole oh. atomization by design is never good. And there's, I mean, to add to that, we're talking about um, how like this pretend flexibility is sold as an advantage. So basically you get to pick the jobs, you get to pick who you, you know, give a ride to. And it's not unusual that this is just a, well, not quite a free choice because if you decline enough times, you start losing their jobs or, or the rating like how how is that Ruth like yeah there's an ongoing series of cases in the UK about um, whether or not people are really being employed uh, rather than being contractors and there was a quote I read from an Uber driver in the UK who said that if he cancelled a pickup that there were repercussions from the company from Uber and that therefore like you would be punished so you wouldn't be offered as many jobs and I've heard the same thing about people who do a lot of these food delivery jobs the cycling around London that you actually can't refuse that many jobs. If you like refuse a few, then you stop getting offered them. So it's not really a flexibility where you can say, you know what, like I'm a single dad and I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna drive a car just on like Tuesday afternoons when someone else is looking after the baby or something like that. Like actually it's, it's not even set up like that. For all that it's the idea of being really flexible, that would be real flexibility. But actually, they don't want people doing that kind of thing. They want you to be constantly at their beck and call. And this goes hand in hand with like another component. So flexibility is one. And the promise of reputation systems or the ratings is another big selling point. Basically, you get to either choose your driver based on the rating or the driver gets to choose who they're going to pick up based on, again, the rating as a passenger, I guess. However, there's um, increasingly there's been conversation about how these reputation systems are truly fucked, to put it in a technical term. <laughs> like, so when you start looking at who gets rated highly, uh, you also have to factor in like in everything, all the other social, social cultural factors that influence someone's rating of someone else. Do black people or people of color get lower ratings? Do people with an accent get lower ratings? What about women driving cars, right? Do, do they Are they perceived to be worse drivers than the male counterparts? Well, we know uh, that studies have shown that basically women and men drive 
about the same in terms of skills. However, the perception of that driving is different because it's a gendered perception, right? For example, who is accountable for the ratings that are done based on racist stuff or misogynist stuff, right? What if someone decides to avoid, for example, black sounding names, yeah. quote unquote? I've actually read that that's a whole problem and that some drivers have changed their like names on the list so that they'll get more jobs and find that that's actually the case that they have more of a like a white sounding driver name like just put the name as John there they'll actually get more people wanting to get pickups from them and what baffles me a little is that if this is a known phenomenon I wonder if there's any if you if we want to go through the technocratic technology is the solution sort of way if these biases are known how come there's nothing balancing the algorithm to make up for this right so who gets whose privilege basically gets perpetuated there was a case i don't know if you remember on airbnb um this woman we'll link to her on the notes can i remember her name but she basically started the hashtag uh airbnb well black and this was basically starting from the fact that she noticed that she was getting a lot more rejections on the Airbnb platform than her like white friends or counterparts right i don't know uh, the stat was something like she was nine times less likely to get to get the the room she booked or she would do the thing where like uh she Will book, but then halfway through, the the person who was doing the who was renting out the room would just say like, "Hey, we're really sorry, but we double booked," and she would just be you know dropped. So Airbnb being well black started, and people took to Twitter to share their experiences on being denied service, not so much by the platform, but by the people using the platform to make money. Right, the people renting out. How's that, Ruth? <laughs> I know, it's shocking. Yeah. But it's not shocking. Um, NPR did a story, so we'll probably link it. I'm going to put a note here. It's literally called Airbnb in White Black. And uh, it's an audio story, 25 minutes, if you're interested. Yes, yes. I just remembered that there was something about this whole situation about like what you were saying about who's responsible for that. I feel like there was actually a court case in San Francisco. It was actually more about working with dodgy landlords. Because there's this whole thing about like the lack of responsibility, right? Where they just say like, we're the app makers, we're just an intermediary, like we don't actually have anything to do with what happens on our site. We just make a website, like hands off. And there was a court case that said that if you were doing business with someone who was breaking the law when it comes to unsafe rentals, which was what one of these like controversies was about. Just about this whole issue of like whether the places people are renting are actually safe to stay in. And they were saying that it's actually still illegal to do business in this way. It's not about what you're hosting or not hosting. It's simply like if you're making money from it, then you're having a business with them. It's a, it's, I, I also need to look into that because I know I made notes in this case. Because I was talking mm -hmm. with a different friend of mine, not about the racism aspect, but about this whole issue of safety. Because someone had died as a result of carbon monoxide poisoning in an Airbnb rental. And it's this whole thing that, like, if you own a normal B&B, you, you have to go through all of these, like, stringent safety precautions before you can have a license. Like, you would have to have carbon monoxide detectors. Like, you would have right. to have health and safety checks. Like, 
all the food in your kitchen would have to be checked like is your kitchen safe is the oven safe like everything like that but airbnb doesn't have those same protections and the article was talking about how they don't do anything to set that up but they did offer photography to some places that were like nice places in New York where they wanted to promote people come and stay in New York. So Airbnb had said like, hey, we'll send around a professional photographer to make the like the top places in New York nicer. So, you know, that will encourage more business. So it's like, if you can invest some money in the rental places, like now you've done that, you've demonstrated you will invest money. Why won't you invest money in saying like, we demand that you take photographs to show that you've got um, a fire alarm and a carbon monoxide detector and like a fire blanket. Like you could make those rules really easily, but they don't. It's not, it's not the same issue, but it's that whole question about like, where do people interfere and where do they not? It's like pretending that you never interfere isn't actually true. It's a little pattern of like the fake neutrality aspect of online businesses, right? Oh, we're a neutral platform. It's just whatever uh, our customers or clients want us to do. Um, it's it's them doing it. We just provide the tools. But it's very interesting. I mean, uh, listeners are not looking at my face because I'm just baffled by like okay so you invest in photographers you physically invest in sending someone to a place to take photos but not to check for basic safety mechanisms like it's it's uh, what the hell um but it's this is another example again of um the risk being offloaded into the person doing the work and this is where like that offloading of risk plus the incentive of ratings kind of creates like the perfect cocktail of dangerous situations like i think there's a case of um for example, Amazon drivers chasing the high ratings can put themselves at risk because there's really not a safety standard that prevents them from doing so. You know, you want to chase the five stars, you're going to speed, you're going to, you know, just act recklessly because there's nothing that A, allows you to take the, the time and the, the safety precautions that might have a negative impact in your time or whatever is accounted for in your rating but also there's like it's all on you if you really want that that star it's all on you yeah yeah because people might not everyone knows but amazon have their own kind of private uber where people who do deliveries have the same thing where they have an app to say like i will deliver parcels at this time but it's just a siloed thing just for amazon they're a company that if there's something that they need done they just do it themselves and set up a small business to do it that's they the mm. amazon run like a massive website hosting business and they have their own delivery thing and there's a whole bunch of other services where they just like run everything internally people like in everything on the internet would say well if you don't like it don't use it or oh if you don't like it like as long as it's not impacting me people can do whatever they want because hashtag free world so what's like the impact for people who are not employed by these apps? Can I just start? I just need some water. I'm asking really dry. Water. Water is good. This episode is brought to you by water. Water hydrating you and in large enough quantities killing you. It's called drowning. <laughs> well, now I'm Anyways. freaked out. I only just finished a mug of water and now I'm like looking at it suspiciously. Ah. Uh, you know, it's all about quantity. So we're basically talking about if this doesn't impact you, then just don't use it. I mean, like one of the things that's really freaky about Uber is this recent news that actually they're not even making money. Uber is currently operating at a loss. 
that's just like, wait, well, how is how is this going to work? Essentially, the plan is that then they can kick all the other cab companies out of business because no one can compete with the lower prices that Uber currently offer. Like, I'll be honest, I've actually used Uber twice in my life, but that's mostly because I just catch buses everywhere in London. But I know so many people who will say, oh, like, a London black cab is just too expensive. Uber costs, like, half the price, and they're always on time, and they're just faster and better. And that seems like, why wouldn't you want someone to use a better service? And, you know, maybe black cabs took too long to build an app to allow people to order cabs. I don't know. But then they're, if they're undercutting and not actually paying a fair wage, then black cabs go under, out of business and then everyone's left being forced to run a business that either pays really badly or doesn't exist because they can't compete, essentially. It's just like they're exploiting people in order to control a market. They get people used to paying less for services. So the perception of value for a service, it's skewed and you can make that argument based on the scale of this business right if it was just a small business making you know really cheap rides within an area you're like oh you're not changing people's perceptions of how much giving a ride costs but when you're talking the uber scale literally like a huge scale people do start you know demanding unattainable price not unattainable like lower prices for services that effectively cost a lot more than what you're paying for. So, I mean, there's also like this whole rumor that Uber's long run, in the long run, their goal is not only to kick out cab companies and public transportation, that's another thing. Um, Just like, hey, if you're gonna pay $5 for that subway plus bus ride, pay $5 for an Uber and that's better. Um, So, not only kicking them out, but also eventually bringing in automation and not even employing people like so i don't know it's it's a little bit that that is more in the in the maybe but like based on what kind of investments they're doing and what kind of technology they're investing on it is not far reached to say that um that that's basically the the plan the strategy right kick all the humans out by using humans and then just introduce automation and keep all the money i was gonna say like i really hope it it doesn't come to that and i'm always suspicious about this idea that we can like replace humans because i think humans are fundamentally too awesome to be replaced by just robots in every way maybe that's just a little bit too much hope for the future uh I don't think you can have too much hope. Hope is important. But what do you think about this whole idea of like, okay, if your public transit is too expensive and like cabs are too expensive, let's just Trojan horse this app and this service and like, quote unquote, disrupt the market. Like there's this startup ideology that I see in, I'm not the only one seeing it, but like that we can see on on apps and new businesses. And it's another feature of of the mythology around, you know, technology will save us all, which is go in, disrupt, and if you can make it better, you'll get all the money. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that? There's like, so having this ideology that's like, we can make new things and they can be great and we're going to disrupt the system. It's like, the system is broken and I'm better than it. But like, 
that kind of attitude about lack of respect for systems, which can seem really edgy and cool, then ends up meaning a lack of respect for laws. And then a lack of respect for rights. And I, I think, personally, that this disruption system ends up kind of disrupting hard-won workers' rights, like minimum wage, like having a pension. It's seen as like, oh, these things are like burdens that are holding us back from truly making new things. A few years ago, the UK suggested that people should be able to sign away their workers' rights at startups what? in in exchange for uh, for shares in these companies. And they were like, why would you want to be held back by restrictions on how long you can work for, for instance? So we have this um, EU working time directive sets like a maximum amount of hours someone can work in a week. And they were like, this is just holding people back. If people could work like 24-7, imagine how efficient they'd be. And, you know, just put that effort into a startup and you could get some shares. And when the startup's worth loads of money, you know, it will have all been worth it. I mean, that didn't come in because people obviously actually fought against it and said this is against workers' rights and, you know, also no because of the pressure an employer could put on you. Because it was the idea that you could choose, that you would willingly say, like, I'll sign this and I'll say, like, I will swap my rights for shares. And people were saying, well, that sounds great. In theory, in practice, people will pressure you to do that. So it didn't come in. But that's that kind of concept that where, like, employers actually would go for it. And I know people who've worked at startups and have said, like, that's exactly the idea. It's like you can get shiny, cool things like a climbing wall and a football table and you won't mind sexual harassment and long hours because because those yeah. those are the swaps. Um, what? And then it's well known that half of those facilities never get used. <laughs> Because they overwork you so much, last thing you know, or last thing you want is to go and hang out at the office pool. You just want to get the hell out of there and see your kids. Which takes me to another thing, which is like an intersection, right? Of like, who can afford to to do this? Who can afford to be disrupted? And when something gets disrupted, it's at the expense of what community? For example... This whole idea of, like, if you work hard enough, sleep on the floor, eat instant noodles, and never shower, and you'll be a millionaire, kind of Elon Musk sort of thing, um, and it's okay because the company will give you some shares, so you don't even have to respect workers' rights and in, in the hourly. Who, who's able to do that? By doing that, you are automatically giving preference to people who... Preference in terms of a job, you're giving a job preference to people who don't have a family, who don't have kids to look after, um, or are people in a position of care. Um, you're leaving out people with disabilities. You know, a lot of this work, be it mental or whatever, it always takes a toll in your body. Who can afford to be sitting somewhere for hours on end? Or even like the mental strain on that, right? Not everybody can deal with the necessities of exploitative work the same way. And this shouldn't be a requirement. Human rights and labor rights are made so that your job compensates you in a way that reflects whatever you're doing and if it's taking a toll on your body and if you're demanding people to give up more than you could ever ever give back as a company there's something off so yeah who who gets to participate in these economies who gets to design them 
for who uh, are they being designed and I don't know it's it's I think it's a question that we don't ask ourselves often but like this whole like just chase your dream and work as hard as you can yeah Jimmy try doing that when you have kids and you're like you're a single parent right I mean there's a lot we could go into about like the kind of like hero mythos that comes with all of this about like one man saves the world with good investments and good intentions Ta-da! yeah we're gonna talk about that in the future <laughs> yep let's take a look at what are the options so unions today are they completely out of i don't know are they are they completely terrible are they outdated i'm right now really excited about unions i would say like 2018 is the year Ruth is like yes unions and i've been like reading in a nutshell how would you define a union Oh god. Unions are basically collective organizing of workers in order to improve um, work. Beautiful, thank you. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Yeah, one of the things about this contracting individualistic system is that it seems to get rid of unions because they've been all about collectives and if everyone's just sitting at home waiting for something to come to them on their app, then how are people going to work together? But there actually have been a lot of examples recently of that actually changing, that unions are trying to find more ways to bring people together and that workers are finding more ways to, to actually organize. I mentioned Deliveroo earlier. I, th- I don't know if it exists outside of the UK, but it's basically a food delivery service in London. And there was a recent case where they had a collective action to change how their wages were being um, organized. And that came out of having a gathering space, just like one space where people could just wait for jobs and started talking to each other and started organising. And they organised a strike with a union called the Independent Workers of Great Britain Union, which is being set up to like literally do that, to get people who are doing these independent jobs to organise together. And they had a strike and it made change. So... To me, it was really interesting that, like, even though it seems like unions are not set up to do that, people are recognizing that they can um, actually still organize. And I was, like, really excited because I read a case literally two days ago that said a union for couriers who um, deliver blood across London for the Mm. hospitals um, also apparently was was being done in a gig economy system which i'm just like wow what? really yeah um what's the name of the app bloodly or something um it says I, I, i'm i'm just being facetious here but tdl i never heard of it before um wow. a, an outsourced delivery service for the nhs that delivers blood and was doing it in that same system but they've now won the right to be recognized as employees and that was also with this independent workers of um, Great Britain union who've been campaigning with them. So I thought that was really good. And I've also seen that like a lot of traditional unions are also trying to support people and like providing some of like the expertise and some of like the talking points to support people. So I think that's yeah. really cool. And like a totally different thing. But it's still like an alternate union is um, the Internet Creators Guild. Right. Which I was so excited about. And they represent, whilst not exactly being a union, like YouTubers and online creators, like people who do Twitch, all of that kind of stuff. Because 
actually those people are in a similar situation because their semi-employer is Google. Like if you're making videos on YouTube, then all the decisions that YouTube makes impact you. But YouTube doesn't actually employ you with a contract because you're just posting up your videos as an independent person and, you know, trying to get ad deals and all the rest of it. So if YouTube makes a decision like they did recently where they wanted to demonetize LGBT videos, how do you challenge that? Because technically you're not really employed by them. Um, So the Internet Creators Guild, which was set up by uh, Hank Green and uh, many other awesome people, tries to shout out to them yeah shout out to the internet creators guild um is trying to provide education bargaining trying to tell people like sharing information is also a key thing which i think is like exactly what you were talking about it's telling people how what are you getting in those ad deals what are your stats looking like what's actually being monetized and what isn't because it's often like really nebulous to tell how videos are changing like what youtube is prioritizing or not so like they have a podcast also, whoop whoop. Uh, this, it's actually really good. And I like it because it's so, like, it's the business of creating online. Mm-hmm. And they ask people all of these, like, really practical questions about, like, actually, how much money are you making? You know, our culture of, like, not talking about money. And, like, they're just completely challenging that and saying, like, no, we need to know what a fair wage is as an online creator. So yeah. that's not a union it's it's you know it's calling itself a guild but i'm seeing like more things like that different ways of people getting together and basically like a new format of having collective action yeah there's also um the freelancers union in the us i think they're on twitter at freelancers u like with the letter u at the end and if i get this correctly they are making it possible for freelancers to get benefits which you know healthcare in well anywhere anywhere in the world is a key thing for everybody and it's a service that's often being debated as like should it be a privilege should it not be (laughs) should it just be human right i'm siding with human right so benefits through your workplace especially in the states is a huge huge issue right like if if you don't have a uh, healthcare coverage, you could be in debt for for life, or bankrupt. So freelancers union, um, they have packages of like insurance that you can buy. I think dental was the latest one. I think I read. Um, so just check them out, freelancersunion.org. I think, um, and I think there's also an organization of um, Amazon Turk workers, the Turkers. Amazon Turk, it's a completely, ah, it's fascinating. Amazon has been like a theme in this episode. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to another useful website on this, which is faircrowd.work. And it's a website that gives information about unions for crowd workers and also reviews all of these different sites. Like... So you can go on as a worker and review the employer, again, like the company, um, and what it's like to do crowdsourced work for them. So Amazon's like on there and it's got like a lot of information that helps people, again, like communicate with what people are actually getting paid and like whether these people treat you fairly, like what the terms of service are. And it's like, it's really clear how to... um, 
like how to understand like they ask you things about like can you refuse a job can mm. you have contact with other workers do you have to sign a contract do you have to sign a code of conduct and it's it's got these kind of micro task workplaces it's, yeah. it's specifically for information on micro tasking which i now realized like let's also explain micro tasking because yeah i was gonna say because we've we mentioned amazon and i think basically um before when we're talking about amazon delivery you did mention something how like when amazon needs something done rather than hiring they just create a small business around it and it's usually not super open so things are happening that you don't even know they're happening so what is this whole thing for example what's the amazon mechanical turk yeah so it's a website where you can go on and be a worker who does what they often refer to as micro tasks it's things like clicking on products and identifying if they're yellow. You listen to tiny mm -hmm. clips of music and identify what genre of music they are. It's essentially captures. That's another kind of micro task. You know where you see right. a little thing and it says like, it's a number plate and you have to write down what the letters are. It's doing these really- Prove you're not a robot. Pr it's proving you're not a robot. It's doing tasks that look like robots might do them, but actually humans are doing them. Sometimes they involve actually like going out and taking photographs. Like there's quite a few where it's teaching robots how to do things by doing them yourself. There was one case recently I read where someone had to take photographs of themselves lying on the floor and they only upload two photos and they get paid a couple of cents. But the person who's posted up this job is asking everyone to do that because they wanted to design a program for putting a camera in an old person's home that could recognize if someone had had a fall. So they were trying to get lots of different images of falls. So everyone gets paid a tiny amount, just a, a few pence or a few cents just to f upload that photo. And then they get all of the information. There's actually like a lot of people who are doing like research using this. People um, get paid to do questionnaires. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a, a bit of a controversy in the academic world um, of, academics or people leading research using Mechanical Turk as a way to fill out surveys surveys and other forms of questionnaires um, or doing little tasks, micro tasks, to inform their research. So there, there's all of this question of like, okay, you're paying for this service, so all of a sudden you're getting data that's kind of skewed to obviously the population who needs to do Amazon Turk work. And it's just it's just a fascinating conversation, right? What are the ethics about around that? Yeah. I mean, like, what I find so weird is that they called it the Mechanical Turk. Because the Mechanical Turk was a real thing. It was um, mm -hmm. a, a sort of a robot, or at the time it was called an automaton, that played chess in the late 1700s. So it looks like a kind of metallic man in front of a chess set on a table. And it travelled all over the world and people played chess with it. And it was always beating everyone and it seems like crazy, how was this robot doing it? But it was a fake. And the world believed that this was a real machine that had learnt, even in the 1700s, that had learnt how to win chess games. But actually, a person was hiding inside the machine, underneath the table, playing the chess moves from underneath. And it travelled the world for a long time before it was revealed that this was a fake. And I just find it so fascinating. It, it's just the, like, audacity of naming it <laughs> that. 
It's like yeah. the whole idea of things that look like robots but are actually people. And they're acknowledging the pretense of how much work is being done where you might think that's um that's a machine that's uploading this information or identifying sound clips or whatever. But actually there are people behind it. Yeah, I, all of a sudden artificial intelligence is not that artificial. Maybe Amazon is just really good, not at technology, but at hiding the fact that there's a human behind whatever they're selling. I don't actually want to criticize the the availability of work where people have nothing else. Like, at the end of the day, it's helping people. That's why I'm more in favor of having the unions and more in favor of people being open about what's going on, because the problem is that these microtasks are being devalued that people are actually mm -hmm. contributing a lot towards the development of apps or towards Amazon's vast fortunes and they're not being paid a fair wage for it. You know, you've got this whole deal about how Jeff Bezos... Oh, God, what's his name? Jeff Bozo? Bezos. Bezos? Jeff Bezos, yeah. Yeah. Which which sounds like kisses in Spanish. Jeff Bezos? I can't, why can't I say it? Yeah, so the CEO of Amazon is currently the richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. And one in ten of his employees are on food stamps. Oh my god. That's the inequality. If you rely on this work, if you rely on people to be driving cars all day long without brakes or working in warehouses where they're timed for how long it takes to get something off a shelf or where people have to do tiny minute identifying bits of um, imagery to make all that money then you're mm -hmm. and you're not paying them a fair wage that's what's wrong it's it's not the existence of the jobs that's wrong it's the exploitation in those jobs that's wrong yeah there's also um a, a criticism towards well, a few things. For example, in the case of Airbnb, there is, yes, there is the added benefit of maybe you can make some money on the side if you rent out a room in your house. From an academic perspective, I've heard some academics say, well, that is the monetization of private space and a space that you would not have made money off before it's now generating revenue. The downside to that is that hotels and more regulated industries where people get paid a lot less than you would are suffering. So basically, while you are creating some income, you are taking away from income in lower paid, harder to get positions, like say in the hotel industry. And when you look at the stats, it's like, well, to have an Airbnb thing set up, first you have to live in a good neighborhood or at least a neighborhood where tourists cannot or like won't be afraid of going so that's that already puts you at a certain class right you have to have an extra room or you have to have a way to leave your apartment whenever you're renting it out so that's also puts you at an, a specific class and very soon you start seeing how the monetization of this private space is taking money away from say hotels that might employ immigrants or because um, Hospitality, hospitality work is huge for newcomers in, in several countries, Canada one of them, and you can see those businesses going down. So that's, that's what I was trying to get with like who gets to do that and how the inequality, like you don't have to be Jeff Bezos to, to exploit people, like you can be just middle class person renting out a room, benefiting because rent is too damn high, and yet, you know, and, and still contribute to, to the shifting economies of um, taking money from this pool to this other pool. Do I advocate for like slamming down 
the platform economy, I think I align with you in saying that we need unions, we need a little bit more protections to make sure that everybody indeed has access to healthy, sustainable forms of work. And I think this is not just Luddites being like, bring down Airbnb, but more like, okay, let's be honest with ourselves and see who really benefits, who doesn't, and who's in the middle, right? It's like, oh, well, rent in Vancouver, I kid you not, one bedroom apartment was around 17 to $1,900 a month. Apartments are tiny here. I know you live in London. That's I'm like, you don't even want to hear about our rent. I know. I mean, I think we're two people who, um, yeah, we're off in the, in the global scale. This is not normal. You know, if you have to make a considerable amount of money to have a, a bedroom, of course, a lot of, a lot of pressure comes to start monetizing that private space. And rents go up because then you can make money. And again... Even if you don't agree or don't participate in the platform economy, you are being impacted by it. So, things to think about. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else? Yeah, so I saw news recently that said that Uber had lost its appeal against a ruling that its drivers should be classed as workers with minimum wage rights, which is actually huge news. It was also with the... um, independent workers of Great Britain Union who are supporting this appeal. And according to the information that I read, it doesn't mean that everyone is currently instantly a worker, but it means that people can actually challenge and change their classification. And it's going to have like huge ramifications for the whole of the gig economy and especially for Uber. It's really, really exciting to see and that they it will actually hopefully mean that more of these companies can't start up and think that they can just exploit people. Because the key thing is that you can't actually just declare someone a contractor because the law already defines what employment is. And that's why people are going to these employment tribunals and saying, I'm actually an employee, like the delivery drivers for blood, like Uber, because the law says if you have to be at work at certain times, if you have to obey these restrictions, if you can't find someone else to replace you, and there are a bunch of other things then you are an employee. Like, there is a definition of an employee, and it doesn't matter what someone else wants to call you. There is a legal definition of a contractor and a legal definition of an employee. And if you're legally an employee, then they have to start obeying all these other rules that comes with being an employer, which means you have to provide a pension, you have to pay at least the minimum wage, you have to have holiday leave, all of those things. That's why it's really important. And I think it's really exciting to see that they're saying, like, no, no, you can't just get around this with terminology by claiming (laughs) that you're just a company. And some of the decision-making has been really interesting. Like, judges have been saying, like, kind of going, you're just taking the piss with your statements. Basically, people are organizing and cases are being won. So it is not that far-fetched that all of these um, issues and complaints are actually being taken seriously by regulatory bodies. And I don't know, that's, that's a little bit of hope. Cool. All right. So Ruth, let's close this up. What did you learn today? I think the thing that I'd never really given as much thought to until you brought it up was this issue about off-putting the costs and the risks especially. I'd thought so much about the issue of like workers' rights, but then all those issues about insurance and risk and owning the car and owning everything else, off-putting that responsibility, not just your responsibility as an employer, 
but actually a responsibility towards your customers. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before, like who actually holds responsibility for any accidents that happen and who is being made less safe as a result. It's, it's like a whole other way of thinking about how those repercussions don't just happen to the workers, they happen to people who are using these services. And it's something that I'm going to give a lot more thought to. What about you, Marinella? What did you take away? I really like the idea of the new forms of collective organizing that are sprouting around the platform economy and the gig economy. Uh, the Internet Creators Guild, the Freelancers Union, um, the indie, like independent workers of Great Britain, I think you mentioned. I think it's really cool just to see these new, fresh collectives coming up that still have their roots in the labor movement. And uh, usually unions in the neoliberal world, capitalism, blah, 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 are being painted as something that brings down uh, companies and something that's just very stale and corrupt. And yeah, there are some instances, a lot of instances of that. However, it's so refreshing for me to see new forms that try to stick to the values of, of uh, labor rights and human rights and that they're forming around this, embracing technology but also embracing the humans that are making a living and making culture and creating community online. So it's, it's super cool. I really like that and um, make sure listeners to check the notes because we're going to put some links about that and recommend organizations that we've missed because we'll, we'll boost them, we'll retweet them, which takes me to the end. Thank you so much for everything. I am Marianela Ramos Capello. And I'm Ruth Kustik Deal. And you can find this podcast on at Things Intersect or on our website. Just go on Twitter, click on it. You'll find us there. We'd like to thank David Mark Hucklesby for the intro outro music. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you very soon. Bye. Bye Ruth. Bye.